This is Akafe. Laura Marie and Jessica Marie proudly present A Court of Fandoms and Exploration, a podcast. Fair warning, everything the hosts say is explicit, full of spoilers and adult content and shall not be used against them. They have opinions. Let's try not to drag anyone for expressing themselves and just have fun for an hour. We all deserve it. This episode does not contain spoilers, but does mention Wicked Beauty, Akamaf, The Magicians, The Infernal Devices, and The Mortal Instruments. For full list, please see show notes. There are also discussions surrounding sexual assault, substance abuse, alcoholism, abortion, and death of a parent and grandparent. Everybody and welcome to A Court of Fandoms and Exploration, your weekly deep dive into the YA literature and fandoms that we love. I'm Laura Marie. And I'm Jessica Marie. And today we are discussing the 1989 novel Wheatsy Bat <laughs> by Francesca Leah Block. And this book is really something it is all vibes, wouldn't you say? Oh, totally all vibes. And I think we're probably going to drill the fact that this is from 1989. And so, like, it was like, this is a second time read for me. I read it once last year and obviously for, <laughs> for the episode. And you've been reading this regularly since you were 13. Since I was 13. So I think if you know anything about this book, this book is not on Book Talk. This book is not on the radar. There is like no merchandise about this book. Very little on Etsy. There's just a couple of things. Um, if you have read this book and if you know me at all, then you can see like where I pulled little pieces of my personality from Wheatsy. Like she is really something. And reading this at such such a young age was just like I I, I cannot I cannot describe it. I cannot describe it. It was like it was it was like magic because I immediately then got my hands on as many of her books as I possibly could. And then that just opened like a whole world up. And then I found a friend in high school who also really liked her. And that was how we connected. And uh, that was really something, really something. So yeah, that must have shaken you because like, I feel like nobody really talks about her, even though she's she has so much she has over like 25 books. She I mean, she wrote this in college, she went to UC Berkeley. She wrote this in college as like a, like she was homesick. She missed her friends. She missed her family. Like a lot of her work is autobiographical. She said so in interviews and we'll post a bunch of the interviews and articles that we found in our show notes. Um, so, but I remember my first time reading this, I was like, I'm picturing you, like the style, the vibes reading this. I felt like, they're so cool. Like these kids are so cool. It's very like quintessential LA when you think of LA in the 80s and 90s, like neon and haze. And I think one of the articles even describes it as, um, you know, very aligned with that like whimsical dreamscape vibes that you see in Euphoria. That obviously is at, at, at the forefront of a lot of things right now. There is another novel that Francesca wrote called Pink Smog, which I think really represents that kind of L.A. feel because uh, the the imagery in this book is something. And I, I just I cannot drive home enough. I was 13. So the imagery in this book of like 
flamingo pink sunsets, you know, and like the trees and and the fairy tale cottages and all of that stuff truly was like magic to me. So it is it is just wonderful. I could just go on and on. I feel like the way that L.A. is described in this book and we're going to get into it more, too, of course, um, L.A. is the is a character in this book the way New York is a character and a lot like in, in Gossip Girl or like a lot like a lot of, you know, I, I don't I can't think of a lot of books outside the top of my head besides Gossip Girl, because that's the, the first thing I'm thinking about. And I just saw a bunch of Chase Crawford in, interviews. <laughs> L.A. is completely romanticized. And there's a line that I have to look up in the book. But L.A. is romanticized in the way of like it has the good, like all the good, all the bad, all the in between. But it's her home. We, her as in Francesca, but also the character we see. The character we see. Okay. Just tell me about the characters. You're so good at a character rundown. Well, and there a, aren't very many. Yeah, there isn't. There aren't a lot. You have Wheatsy, who is the female MC. Um, she's this bleach blonde, awesome. Like, I say she's an awesome badass, but like, she's badass in her own way. She's very whimsical. She's very, oh, she's just, she has so much love to give. I think that was like, there's, you know, there are times where I'm reading this girl and i'm thinking she's a better person than i am what it fucking left him come back mm-hmm. to me like and, and this isn't you know this is a spoiler if you haven't read it um but it, if you have great but like her boyfriend left her when she was pregnant and then he shows up uh-uh bye you don't get to skip out on the last nine months and think everything's okay like mm-hmm. sure be there for the kid if you want but like not for me and then um, come back with your own baby oh then, my oh, god oh, max that's what are thing. you doing there uh, that, that, we'll get into it we'll spiral because we'll like we said the book is vibes um but you have so Wheatsy, you have her best friend dirk um you have dirk's grandma fifi um they have a dog slinkster dog slinkster dog yes there's Duck, and then there's Secret Agent Loverman. That's his name. There's a whole story. And those, those are really the pivotal characters. Of course, you have Wheatsy's mom, Brandy Lynn, and then you have her dad, Charlie. Then L.A., as we said, is its own character. But that's – and it's a short book. It's a short book. It's 84 pages. Yeah, it's 84. It was like it's 88 pages, but then it's like all the little fillers. But it's 84 pages. Um, but they hit on some, like, such great topics – that for 1989 really shook some of rev- the reviewers that this was out for, you know, recommended for 12 and up, a- accessible to anybody. Yeah. Okay. So under 100 pages. And in this book, you have talk about abortion. You have two deaths, drug abuse. Uh, what else? What Sexual else? Sexual assault. Sexual assault. Her best friend comes out to her. Yeah. And like Wheatsy's like, cool. Now we can go like boy hunting together. To like together she really didn't care. At all. There's even a lot. She's, she goes like, huh? she was so confused because she was like, huh? Who? What? When? Where? Why? How? Well, not, not, how, not how, but like she was so, but I mean, again, I think it's important to drill that this, these conversations were happening in 1989, just as like there are, these conversations are also actually unfortunately still happening now because not everybody is like, this is part of life. This is part of the world in which we live. And there's too many people who don't, who aren't willing to understand that. And an underlying kind of uh, storyline in Weetsy Bat that you get kind of in the middle towards the end is AIDS. Like, ki- like it is said without being said. 
uh, one of Duck's friends dies and it is like quite clear. They're like, how can we love each other when love can kill us? I mean, uh, that is, you know, we know Mm -hmm. what that is. Uh, Again, all of this in under a hundred pages and within those pages, just a, 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 Francesca writes in a very specific style and you really do kind of have to be in a mindset to pay attention to it because if you are distracted, then you will not get the the beauty that she is trying to convey here. And I think that's important because you can just be like, oh, I can just like knock this out, whatever. But and that is true. But you do kind of have to uh, zero in on the vibes because the vibes are uh, the selling point here, truly. And let's get into the vibes. Weetzy. Weetzy meets Dirk in high school, right? Oh, my gosh. And uh, Dirk has a uh, big black mohawk, right? And he's got his 55 red Pontiac and named Jerry Lewis. And he is just <sighs> as gay as can be. <laughs> and we love him so much for it. Weetzy, of course, is she has, just as you said, the bleach blonde flat top. And she uh, makes her own clothes. And you know how film bros, this is what I was thinking about earlier, you know how film bros like to say that uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood is a love letter to L.A., right? Like, that is what it is. Uh, Quentin just did that. Well, that is what I think Weetzie Bat is. And the tour of places that Weetzie goes throughout this book, of course, again, set you know out in 1989, just really drives home these are real places. A lot of them are not there anymore. And Francesca has been interviewed. And Jess, you said people have gone to try to find these places and they're not there anymore. And that's like so upsetting, right? Like, it's so sad. I mean, especially when you have cities that like make, you know, we we joke about, you know, like we're going to do a shadow hunters. We're going to do like a part one and part two. We're going to do a shadow hunters, like the mortal instruments tour when you come visit me next time. And then we're also going to do a infernal devices tour at Mm -hmm. some point. Um, And I think that's just like part of the love that you have when it comes to media in whatever capacity. Because like, I remember there was a gossip girl, like actual tour and sex in the city tours that you can go on. And one of the stops for gossip girl was Henry Bendel. I'm not saying that right. I know. (laughs) Um, But the store doesn't exist. The company doesn't exist anymore. So like slowly some of these tours, it just becomes kind of a ghost in a shell. But I feel like the way Francesca writes in this book that even if, those places aren't there you'd still want to stop at that address because there are articles out there that say like this was the former location i'd still go to that address to be like oh this is so cool you know how sometimes you have like those instagram pages where they have like the original photo and then you go to that place and you see what it is now and the comparing and the contrasting of it i feel like it's this book is written in such a way that you'd want to do that well something that i would desperately desperately with my whole heart want to see is grandma fifi's cottage (sighs) because this cottage sounds i I, like paradise right Uh, like the the hollywood how did they describe it It was like a hollywood fairy tale cottage and if you look if you just type in those words into a google image everything that comes up it just it it's very it reminds me of everything that we've said on like past episodes when we're talking about different LA Hollywood based movies, like in the craft, um, just that very Tuscan 
Holly, old Hollywood style house. And I mean, granted, I guess they do have to be made like that because of all the earthquakes. You want to some sort of substantial house, but it is just something so magical about it. You're completely transported. And the way that Francesca describes the roof, she's like, it, the roof is like if sand was poured down and it's two bedrooms, which Jess, you were saying like, there's a lot of people living in that house at the end with two bedrooms, but like one is pink and one is aqua and they have all of their stuff and it's full of all knick- knickknacks and Grandma Fifi, love Grandma Fifi, white hair. Sometimes she has it pink, sometimes it's blue and just the, the whimsical like kind of nature uh, Grandma Fifi has like all these dresses and she loves um, Weedsy and I just, when you're reading it, and if you're in like the the headspace and you're in the vibes, you're just like, I want to be here so badly. Ugh. Yeah, I love her. I love Grandma Fifi's house. And even later in the book where they were doing flashbacks with Weetzie's parents, even when they're talking about Brandyland's bungalow in Venice yeah. or something, I was just like, there really is something very magical. And I understand that it takes a very specific type of, you know, like they, you know, everybody says like it takes a specific type of person to live in New York. It takes a specific type of, you got to find your vibe. You got to find your vibe. You got to find what works for you. Home is what you make of it. And like where you feel most comfortable. We've had that conversation before, but this book highlights it in a way of like in a perfect world, you feel like LA could be for you too. Well, and that is a, that is a perfect, perfect point. Uh, Charlie, Charlie Bat, right? Charlie, bat is from brooklyn and mm-hmm. charlie bat from brooklyn moves out to la and he hates it right he hates everything about it uh and of course charlie bat is Wheatsy's uh, dad and then he sees brandy lynn on set of the planet of the Mo- uh, mummy <laughs> men <laughs> it's just so good it's just such a great title when they talk about like stuff at the studio or like different work i'm like this is this is so la and it's not even exaggerated <laughs> <laughs> just it's so funny but uh charlie bat says like it was love at first sight with brandy lynn and then they go on to describe like kind of their their love and oh, gosh the bungalow the bungalow and also there's a line that says like, you know, they had a bath and gin and like that was Charlie's idea. And, you know, uh, I cried the day that I met him, you know, a little I knew I knew already my you know, that. Oh, my gosh. That whole thing. Uh, Brandy Lynn is kind of a I'm I'm going to say like a tragic figure, but not really. She's just like a sad kind of like mom figure. Right. Like she. She reminds me of the tanning blonde neighbor <laughs> in Something About Mary. Okay. That's, it's been that's so long since I know, that. right? I hope everyone is Googling that because that's the image. Yes. See, I, you know, and it was interesting because um, I, I don't know if I've shared this or not. Um, so, like, my parents divorced when they were younger, but it almost seems like, like, obviously, there's lines in the book where. Weetsy's like, hey, dad, why don't you come say hi to mom real quick? And it was very much a, I'm going to drop you off at the door. I'm going to wave, make sure you walk in and I'm going to leave. Like it was a very messy divorce. It was a very tumultuous relationship where they're still not willing to talk to each other. Um, And it does like impact like the way it's written. I have to make my own assumptions that this was a very messy divorce. 
and she's still reeling and it's affecting obviously her relationship with her daughter and her daughter's kind of like, well, I'm going to be a self-sufficient girl. And she does become that because she is having a very active extracurricular lifestyle in high school. Like, holy hell. Um, if only. Yeah. <laughs> God. Like to have freedom. dream, right? <laughs> how much fun. Gosh. Um, but that's kind of like how I took it as, and, you know, and, and Brandy Lynn does come around and she was like, I wasn't a very good mother. And she was becoming a little bit self-aware. And of course, this is after like Charlie's death. And, you know, she was everything that she could be to Wheatsy at that time. And, and, Weetzy did go to visit Charlie Bat in Brooklyn several times, and she said that New York just wasn't for her, though she did say that every time she visited Charlie Bat, uh, it was like the most romantic first date you could possibly think of because he just did everything. He did everything. And I mean, I am very familiar with that, too. It's like, oh, we're going to go to the Met and we're going to go to the like the Greek mythology res- exhibit and like the French Renaissance paintings and the top of the Empire State Building. And they would go here and there and do all the fun touristy things that you never experience when you typically live there. You know, it's kind of like you have to have a cause. Mm-hmm. And they continue to do that when she brings her daughter there, too. Yeah, oh, Cherokee, gosh. Um, If you are a longtime listener of Akafe, then you know that Jess and I are very passionate about wishes, and we are very (laughs) specific about wishes. We have feelings about wishes. Uh, Wheatsy and the uh, magic lamp and her her genie that she has here, I do like that Wheatsy was like, world peace. And the guy's like, no. Your leaders are just going to fuck it up immediately. And she's like, okay, (laughs) infinite wishes. And he's like, no, I can't do it. If I could do it, don't you think everybody, you'd hear about it all the time? He's like, no. And I do like that because uh, we do, you and I, talk about how specific you need to be with wishes. (laughs) And I do like that she did try for infinite wishes like right away. Right, yeah. (laughs) Because if you mess up, you could keep going. But not only that, but like I remember the first time that I was reading it, I I read it and I was like, these aren't specific enough. And I texted you immediately. And then, you know, and we'll get to it. Something happens like immediately after she makes the wishes, uh, almost instantaneously, really. I'm like, it's because she wasn't specific. (laughs) It was the first thought. Yeah, you have to be. You have to be like painfully specific about wishes. Oh my, this is just like my personal pet peeve. Like, like, come on, come on, think about it, right? Like, think about your wishes. Be specific. Think about your loopholes. Make it a really long sentence. <laughs> like, and cover. I, I mean, you know, hopefully, you know, in a wishful thinking world, you know, what we do uh-huh. like to talk. You know, we do. <laughs> no pun intended. Um, We are, you know, we do like focusing on fantasy and sci-fi. If there is an opportunity that this does exist out there, may I know, Laura, you have yours. You're like, you have every crevice lined out. I just have a general. I have a general and I need to be more specific. Um, Have it lined up because then you're ready to go. You are ready to go. You have to cover your loopholes and you have to think of your contingencies. Be the your own devil's advocate in every opportunity because, I mean, even Laura and I, my conversations, you should see some of our texts where I'm like, oh, da-da-da-da-da, 
but wait, what about this point of view? Like, what about that? Just, like, Laura's just like waiting for me to finish my rambling to be like, are you done yet? Okay. I see where you're coming from. This is what we're going to do. <laughs> yep. Put, put it in your notes app so that you always have it no matter what. <laughs> Whenever the opportunity comes, you're like, oh my God, I got three wishes. All right. Bam. All right. You're ready. It's important. It's important. Because what does Weetzie wish for? She wishes for a duck for Dirk, a secret agent lover man for herself, and a house and a happily ever after for all of them. And, like, you know, that's not super specific. (laughs) But I do love (laughs) that she used one of her wishes for her best friend. Yes. The first one. But, yeah. That that was, like, her first... First thing right off the bat, she mm-hmm. wanted she wanted somebody for her best friend to love and love like very I mean, granted, it was very loose, so it could have gone either way. Yeah. <laughs> very, yeah, very loose, very loose. But still, they have such a happy life together. They say that they, you know, like Weetsy was just there and it was the three of them and they did everything together and you know, they were a couple and Weetsy was just like, you know, but, but they never, but they not once in that relationship, because it wasn't like a polyamorous relationship. They were just like three best friends. Yep. And she was like, every night before we go to bed, Duck and Dirk would go into Dirk's room and, and Weetsy would go to hers and they would go both give her a kiss on the cheek. Good night. Like, mm-hmm. we love you. Everything's like strictly platonic. And it was just like a happy family that they created for themselves. That Yeah. And that's really important, too, because you, you're going back and saying like uh, Weetsy because of... Charlie being in Brooklyn and Brandy Lynn being like really absent and like, you know, an alcoholic and her own like issues. And uh, we see it had to be like strong and self-sufficient. And she had a very like active, full, like internal life and external life. And this little family that she creates here is just really special. Right. And then like um, she we go on in the story and it's just it's just a, like a very magical exploration of like friendship and like love throughout LA and we meet uh, Ja Love and Ping Chong and then Raphael and then of course Weetzi is working at a diner and she meets her well my secret agent lover man whose actual name is Max his name is Max uh, but we call him my secret agent lover man that's what everyone calls him and he has green eyes he wears a trench coat and he wears a hat and he's a filmmaker and he's very like broody and he follows Weetzy around. It gives very, like, when they would describe his films, I was always thinking like this film noir style. Oh, definitely. Absolutely, definitely. <laughs> and the thing with my secret agent lover man, too, is he is very affected by the news, right? He says like, um, he gets depressed a lot and the news is just like really wearing him down and he doesn't think that uh, bringing a baby specifically into the world would be good because of just the way that everything is going. This is in 1989, right? Uh, that he he just doesn't think that it would be a good place uh, when Weezy brings up that she wants a baby, and this is where the book gets like the the little controversial. Let's just say it. Um, my secret Weezy says she wants a baby, and my secret agent Loverman says like, no. He straight up says the words no, 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 no. And uh, Weezy takes matters into her own hands. And here, here's my thing with that. Obviously, we're both very open about our um, our own opinions and our own, not even our opinions, our own choices of what that we choose to be child free. That being said, we understand that there are other people 
who choose to have children. And that is a rightful choice. And we've also been open in our like past episodes and past conversations that, you know what, you can be in a good relationship. And sometimes those choices and those conversations need to be had because you could be in the best relationship possible. But if somebody doesn't want a kid and somebody really does, that can make or break a a long-term relationship that doesn't negate that the love isn't there. It's just the wants are different. And that's okay too. But in this situation, it wasn't, you know, they could have easily just been like, you know what? I understand. I respect you. I love you. But we clearly want different needs and different wants out of this. And this is kind of where our journey has to end with each other. But that's not what happened. No, that is not what happened at fucking all. So what did happen? Uh, My secret agent lover man goes on a fishing like retreat with his best friend, Coyote. And uh, they are out there for like three weeks, right? So in the meantime, uh, Weezy puts on trashy lingerie, and I wrote down trashy lingerie because that's the brand, and mm-hmm. the, and that brand is what Catherine was wearing in Cruel Intentions in the <gasps> the opening scene. It's her, oh my her, god, like, with the bronze, yeah, yeah, I had the no bronze, idea. yeah. That's trashy lingerie, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, when they said Fredericks, I was like, okay, I know Fredericks, but I had I never heard mm-hmm. of trashy lingerie until I was reading it, and it was yep. obviously in like it was a proper noun. Yep. Yep. Oh, yep. that's so exciting! Yeah, isn't that cool? That's cool, and it's such a beautiful piece on like Sarah <sighs> Michelle Gellar too. With it, then she like, I opens still think up about the, that outfit. Yeah, it's gorgeous. I know, like all the time. But yeah, that's trashy lingerie. So that is just like a funny little like haha nod. Um, so what what do they do? Uh, they. They bone, right? That that is just what happens. Well, and not just they. She so let's let's clarify that her Dirk and Duck have a threesome mm-hmm. while my secret agent lover man is away. He's gone. Yes. And they were like, we'll still have a baby together and we'll just do all the things and we're not going to take a DNA test because this is our baby. It doesn't matter. We will love this child. Uh, however, you know, the way a child should be loved. We all want a baby together and we're going to raise this baby together. Um, they did all go to the doctor, which I thought was a nice, interesting detail that didn't have that. to be in there, but it was. And that's yeah, great. And they were like, and they were like, they waited for all their results to come mm-hmm. back. Everything was great. They, and then they got drunk and she's yeah. like, this is kind of awkward because, you know, her two best friends usually just <laughs> sleep with each other. And now here's a girl in the mix. This whole scene where, like, my secret agent lover man comes back and he, he, Weezy tells him, I do appreciate that, though. Like, she does not wait. Right. She, she tells him right away. She tells him right away, like, I'm pregnant. This is what happens. And he loses his shit. Rightfully so. Rightfully so. He yeah. says, like, this is the worst thing that you could have done. Yeah, he wasn't mad that she was like, I, I want a kid still. He was mad of, like, of her, her infidelity. Yes. Yes. Very mad about the infidelity. And then I have a note here. Um, so my secret agent lover man leaves. He, he, he leaves for her entire pregnancy and he does not come back until Cherokee is born, which, like, they're obviously. Home. They're, they're, like, back from the hospital. Yeah. Like, it, it's bad. I, I think that's bad, like yeah. shitty, but but like whatever. Um, but they do kind of settle into uh, the f- the five of them, right? Yeah, the five of them. They do kind of settle into a routine and a yeah. life. Yeah, they have yeah. a life and they start, you know, making movies and they start like doing things together. Um, 
But but there's a, a note here on page 65. Uh, but even in the rosy house, Wheatsy felt bittersweet. Bittersweetness was like a liquor burning in the back of her throat and dripping slowly into her heart. And I think that is like so interesting and such a good, like really pretty little line. Why do you think it was bittersweet? Because this this quote, this bittersweetness is when they are adjusting to life before my secretly agent lover man came home. They were oh, so she was like feeling like I love this, but I kind of yeah. miss him kind of bittersweet. It was the house felt different, lighter and more musical because someone was always opening a window, you know, always making sure the light was rosy, everything. But there was something missing. Um, my secret agent lover man wasn't there. And that's this bittersweetness. And it, it is just like a really lovely way to say that, like, even though your life can be perfect, like there can be a piece missing and like, that's OK. And that kind of reminds me of Wicked Beauty when you have mm-hmm. like Achilles and Patroclus and, Hel- and Helen. They're all kind of like there are times when someone's not in the picture and you're just like in Wicked Beauty by Katie Robert. If y'all are just like picking it, you know, joining us now. Um, and it just, you know, like everyone's like, yeah, we're happy. We're great. But like something consistently feels like it's missing. And, and I think it, it's. It's it's interesting. And I mean, and this is the good thing about books in general. It kind of opens up your mind to like different things you might not have not necessarily considered for yourself, but just to be more aware of like other people and like how they have the, you know, how they have their relationships too. like, but that's part of a that's a perfect thing to note about like the importance of communication and understanding what people's wants and expectations are when you when you're going through life well wants and expectations i had a conversation today at the library about this book and jess i was telling you earlier but i also had a conversation at the library about a different book and that different book was talking about povs oh (laughs) don't worry i'm getting there and the the POV, it was like, yeah, it was a really great POV. Like, you know, I got to see everything that was going on. Okay. Uh, you could argue that, you know, you want my secret agent Loverman's POV here because, uh, you know, we are hit with a my secret agent lover man love child situation uh, with Miss Witch Baby who shows up uh, on the doorstep of Wheatsy's cottage well which not with which baby which baby is the result of the relationship that he yeah that max had with vixan and my absolute goodness that story if okay if this were reality and he said that story to me i would be like what Uh uh-huh what (laughs) right Are, are you kidding a a coven of jane mansfield witches okay (laughs) okay that's well she she basically does and she's like let me guess you saw maggots and they disappeared and you got pregnant and she was he's like yes yes he's like yes exactly that all of that they were witches (laughs) she's like okay okay fine um and then um vixan tries to find max and he she can't and ends up cursing him and he does get really sick and then there's like this whole confrontation and we have witch baby uh, who they name lily but they say that that name does not stick um and her first word was beasts yeah she was running around just saying beasts 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 (laughs) but 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 we like looks at duck uh dirk and she's like 
Yeah, he's like, I don't know how that happened. That's totally something he would do. <laughs> it really is. Um, I do want to mention, again, this book is set in 1989, came out in na- 1989. This is an 80s book. Uh, Max does say, Max, my secret agent lover man, does say that he gave money to Vixan to get an abortion. He does say this, and he... Well, because Vixan was coming to the door, like, casting mm-hmm. voodoo on them, and she said... I need money for the abortion. Yep. So he, he gave. He was like, I need to. He was like, let me talk. Because Weetzie's like, I'm not letting you in here. And then once Max, because she had never heard of the name Max in her whole life. Who the hell is Max? Who the hell is this crazy lady? I have a child here. I'm not letting you into my house. Mm-hmm. And so, um, so obviously, and he's like, I'll talk to her. I'll talk to you after. And then he like divulges all this information. Honestly, like he was like, oh, she, he just, because all she's like, uh, if you give me money, I just need money for the abortion. That's why I needed to talk to you. And then nine months later, ding dong, keeps the money. And then like leaves the door, uh, leaves the baby at the door. I do like that she included the, uh, the voodoo, voodoo dolls. dolls. <laughs> yeah, it was just like as a, and, and Duck and Dark are like, it's a peace offering. She gave them as a peace offering. I was like, and then okay. Cherokee was like really happy with that. She's like, hey. Oh, I love it. I <laughs> and love I don't it. think it was the dolls. I think it was just like their shaved the, heads. heads. Yeah. <laughs> oh, so good. Uh, I have a note here that says go to page 82. And I'm going to page 82 just so that we can get a absolute comprehensive list of all of the characters so far. So, so far, because this is like towards the, the tail end of the book. So by this point, we have Wheatsy and my secret agent lover man, Dirk and Duck, Cherokee and Witch Baby with Slinkster Dog and Go-Go Girl and the puppies Pee Wee Wee Wee, Teeny Wee Tiki Tee and Teepee. <laughs> I just love, I just love reading that. And of course, Charlie and Brandy Lynn. <laughs> I just love reading that. So there, that's a very full house now. Now we're full of six people with the dogs. Uh, really, really love it. And it's not, be- and it's because they love the house. It's not because they don't, you know, they can't afford, like they've all had their big break in Hollywood at this point. It's like one of those cliche Hollywood stories. Everybody knew everybody. They were roommates that where the diner that Weetzie used to work at, she found like these two, you know, these two paying customers that just became regulars and they, one worked on set design, like creative and one worked in wardrobe. And so they were like the people on the set of Secret Agent Lover Boy Man. <laughs> Sorry, no. <laughs> um, on his film and then Weetzy starred in his film and everybody was just like, it was just like one of those quintessential, like only in Hollywood does this stuff actually happen because you hear about the stories all the time. And they were like, we could eat sushi anytime we want. Yeah. Which I was like, oh, that, that's the life. I, I just had three for three rolls for $15 today. So I was like really <laughs> excited for this. <laughs> Go. I was like sushi, whatever you want. That's a that's a dream. Um, so they 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 just it was a it was their happy house full of their happily ever afters that Weetzie had wished for. Um, that that was just so full of love, so full of love, and it just it's like warm and cozy, and it it is my. Like, I think about this through, like, rose-colored glasses. Like, everything is, like, tinted, like, rose-colored glasses. It is just so lovely. And then, of course, we have all of this loveliness, and Charlie dies. And Charlie dies, and, of course, that is very, very sad. Obviously, it's very sad. 
Um, but Weetzie has a really beautiful line about grief and how it was just like really different for her and it would just like well up and that's really lovely. But again, less than 100 pages. So much has already happened, right? Like so much has already happened. Two kids, a threesome, um, de- Abortion, two deaths. Yeah, two substance deaths. Substance abuse, sexual assault. I mean, so much has already happened, but but it also it is not it is not a heaviness that like pulls you down either. Like you are, you are like floating through all of this. It is not like a bad thing, but then towards the very, very end of this, a uh, duck finds out that his really good friend has died and he leaves this letter to his family because all of them are his family at this point. I'm just going to, I'm just going to read this because yeah. I think it's really important. Again, 1989, Dear Weetzy, my secret agent lover man, Cherokee witch baby, and my dearest and most darling Dirk. I found out yesterday that my friend Bam Bam is sick. He is really sick. The world is too scary right now. Even though we're okay, how can anyone love anyone when you can kill them just by loving them? I love you all too much. I'm going away for a while. I will never forget you. And Dirk, I will always love you more than anyone. Duck. And I just think that is so real. Right? Like, how can anyone love anyone when love can kill you? Especially, like, for them in this community at this time, like, this fear, this, like, underlying current of fear that is there is just really important. Again, a theme in a book that is under 100 pages, it touches so much and in such a really lovely way. Because then the last, like, 13 pages of this or 10 pages of this book is Dirk kind of going on this search for Duck, right? And he's going to all of these bars and he's trying to like find him. He drives up to San Francisco. Like yeah. he's just like on a, I, I like this is the love of my life. It, it, and it wasn't, it, it's such a different way f- of from when my secret agent lover man left to how Dirk was like, and they even said like they've only seen, um, I'm sorry, Duck. They've only seen Duck cry twice. Once when Charlie died and then the second time was here before he left. Um, just trying to like get his head on straight. Really, I don't feel. I feel like he just needed to be, not because he didn't love them. It wasn't like a a way of leaving the family. He was just like, I need to wrap my head around some things. Like this is a lot right now. And with a house full of six people, and it's only two. But like, who could blame? I get them? it. And like yeah. fifteen billion dogs because they mm-hmm. do have multiple dogs at this point. Yeah. Because Weetie had said, "I want a baby," and Secret Agent Loverman said, "Like I bought you. I I brought our Slingster dog, like another dog, so they can have puppies. And then when you want more babies, like they have more puppies. And mm-hmm. you know, like." who doesn't love fur babies but she's like that's great but i actually want like an actual baby not Mm -hmm. like a fur baby isn't just gonna do it for me yep oh gosh men right (laughs) men men um so the the last like tail end of the book i have a note here anderson's pea soup it's all you can eat I would fucking love to eat all-you-can-eat pea soup. I love pea soup, specifically. I do love a pea soup. And I think that would just be so good. So I would I would really love that. I wrote a note just being like, damn, that would be really good. Um, the, the last couple of pages of the book are just about, like, appreciating their life. And, like, they finished a movie and they dedicated a movie to Charlie Bat. And then they're, like, working on a new one. And it's just, like, Wheatsy's heart is so full of love. And then, of course, the the last sentence or like last, I guess, like two kind of sentences technically in this book uh, are just are just so good. It's like Weetzy is talking about her family and her life. And she's like, I don't know about happily ever after, but I know about happily. 
And and I think that is really nice because because uh you know 89 this story was not done obviously uh this is the first in the series of the dangerous angels uh, love is a dangerous angel uh, it's like they said the thing cuz we we know that the series is called uh, dangerous angels but in 1989 when this came out that was just a line in the book well in dangerous angels that and it's like even like i think a chapter in the book too um it encompasses all of the the following Mini, I, I guess, mini stories after it, and it's in one compilation known as Dangerous Angels, which has all the books within yep. it. Because, like we said, this is only a hundred pages, less than. Yes. So it's multiple books that are that size encompassed in one book. Yep. So there, uh, there's like Weedsy Bat and Cherokee, and I think Goat Guys and Witch Baby, and a couple other ones. Yeah. I need to know the chaos that, like, I, I have the book. I have the book because you, but I haven't continued with the series yet. And I'm glad that I haven't so I could just stay focused on this. Mm-hmm. But that was one of the first things that I said when we, I had read it last year. I was like, oh my gosh, like, I would have never guessed in 19. I mean, I shouldn't have said never guessed because I had never read this either. But the subject matter that is being discussed in this book, in a YA book, no less, in 1989, like I feel was unheard of. Like this feels like very one of those could have been maybe tried to have been a banned book if you knew what the subject matter was in. Because if you look at the book, you're like, oh my gosh, that's like, it's pink, it's pastels, greens, it's about LA. Like, Go for it, especially if you're a parent who's not censoring books at all. You know, you're just like, okay, whatever. Um, so yeah, like, why, why would it have been on anybody's reader? Well, it was on somebody's because <sighs> on June 25th in 19, let's see, 1989. Yes, June 25th, 1989. There was a letter to the editor, um, complaining about a review about Weetsy Bat. So I guess Betsy Hearn reviewed oh. Weetsy Bat and said that it was like really lovely and it was a punk adult fairy tale and, you know, is it, uh, an ingenious, ingeniously lyrical narrative. And then in this letter to the editor, it just like tears it apart and says like, no, Dirk is a homosexual <laughs> and they look for lovers together. And then it just goes on to say like, um, all four of them live together in a house. And she, has, she climbed into bed between Dirk and Duck. Where is the responsible parenthood and responsible <laughs> sex in this book? Um, uh, it's just, it's just bad. And then she goes, um, is Weetsy Bat a good role model? Uh, scarcely, since in many respects, friendship and sexuality are quite distorted. It's like, this book is not a lyrical fantasy, but a glorification of pathological neurotics. Woo. Um, <laughs> then, I had, like, all you could do is laugh at, like, the anger. I just feel like the mobs, I can't even say the mobs of yore, the mobs of now. There are far better choices available for impressionable readers than this superficial novel. Um, this is like from this lady, Barbara in Ithaca, uh, New York from 1989. Uh, but damn. So like there was a little bit of like, whoa, whoa on this, even though critics did really love this. Um, but I do want to talk about how this has been promised to readers in 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 the form of movies and TV shows for years. And it has never, ever panned out. But 
Our fingers are crossed, yeah? Yeah, I mean, there's a Deadline article from 2018 that um, that it was basically saying, like, Anya Taylor-Joy is going to be Wheatsy. It was basically, the cast was all lined out. This was going to be, an, like, a fully screenplay was adopted. Francesca wrote the screenplay herself. Um, it was going to be produced on A24. And y'all, like, A24, you know, does not fuck around. Um, and, but it was also part of, like, the Fox Searchlight. So, I mean, it's been a long time. And I have to assume, and Laura, you and I were discussing this before we started recording, that that might have been just like one of the projects that fizzled out during um, the acquisition when Disney bought Fox. So it is what it is. However, it was announced and confirmed this year, um, and there's a variety article on it also, that Peacock, the streaming service, so which is owned by Universal, they're picking up this with Sarah Gamble as like the, basically the head showrunner who is going to be writing. So it's not Francesca, but they're working closely together and going to be executive producing. They have a whole different executive producer. Nobody really knows about the casting yet. Um, and then like, I, I'm hopeful. I think we're both hopeful because even now, Francesca Leah Block has a book coming out um, called House of Hearts, and she has a like Q&A with Sarah Gamble in L.A. Um, actually, by the time this airs, it'll be it would have have passed. It would be over the weekend. So um, so that's really exciting to see just like how these relationships are continuing, because that article came out in February and here we are in July. So, like, you know, there has to be some movement if that relationship is continuing. Or you'd like to assume. <laughs> We'd like to assume. Yeah. And of course, like we trust Sarah, Sarah from Supernatural and from you and the magicians. The magicians. <laughs> yeah, and the magicians. You know, we we love, we absolutely love and respect Sarah. She does great work. Uh, Wild Fox did, like, a sponsored spread oh. and did, like, a Wheatsy-themed... You showed me this a yeah. while ago. I completely forgot about that. Yeah, and But it's, those are the vibes. Those are those the vibes. Those are the vibes. Yeah, so if you Google, like, Wild Fox Wheatsy Bat, it'll pop up, and they are beautiful photos. And, and Wild Fox, for anybody who's not listening, is a designer. So. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's, like, a company, so... Yeah, and uh, one of the designers split off from them and went and formed Selkie, which is the dress that I wore oh. to Denver Comic-Con. Or at Denver Fan Expo. Oh, I completely... I forgot. You did say all these things. I completely, like... <laughs> I completely forgot. I was like, oh, my God, that's right. Everything is connected. Everything is connected. Uh, but, but, there is there, there is more connection here. There is more connection here. So, okay. If you look at the cover, Jess, you mentioned the cover of Weetsy Bat. We both have yes. the same version. It is yes. very, like, pink and sparkly, right? And the back also... Very lovely. It's very ethereal. It's very ethereal. Very ethereal. And then uh, we noticed some differences in our books. Mostly mine has like a little attached like dust jacket thing. But uh, there's a picture here. Uh, She's giving me La Haba. It's giving, it's giving La Haba, right? <laughs> it's a beautiful, it's a beautiful photo. They're very ethereal. These photos are shot by Susa Scalora, who has fantastic, uh, three really oh. fantastic uh, photography books, one about angels, one about fairies, and one about that now I can't think of off the top of my head. Is but it witches? Is it witches? It is. It is witches and wizards. Yes, very good. It is witches and witches of, I think, Oberyn. Yes. Uh, so those, those vibes are absolutely, absolutely gorgeous. Asusa shot a lot of the covers that are used for a lot of Francesca's books. You can look, they all have the same kind of like, really glittery fuzzy 
uh, saturated, gorgeous colors and just something that you would not really expect. And it is very same vibes to me as Alexa's book, don't you think? Oh, Alexa Demi. Yeah. Well, she she has like that. It's like a co-book with um, the photographer Petra Collins, who they basically I think it was one of those crazy like one of those collaborations that they just really both admired each other's work that a friendship came from it. And then they would just shoot for they would just shoot. And then they were like, oh, my gosh, like we don't want to get rid of any of these and they made a book like a co- I don't want to say a coffee table book because it's not just photos it's stories of myths mm-hmm. uh, under the same realm of the you know fairy tale I mean the book is called fairy tales so it's like and it's almost like a fairy tale erotica with the shoots so there's like different types of like bondage play and i mean it's all so beautiful and so i mean all you can just you just stare and you're like this is art this is art and you know some images and and there's a wonderful wonderful i think it was vogue or vanity fair article that was a joint interview with them together where they were like you know what some of the images might make you uncomfortable but does it make you think and that's always like i mean that's what art is supposed to do it's it's to provoke you and that's what it does and you just want to i have to i have to open mine um just to read it because I want to read the stories too. I know we had just collectively gone through the books because Laura, you have the book too. Yeah. And it, it is absolutely gorgeous. The the vibes here though. So when you're looking at like Suze's work and you're looking at like the covers and you're looking at Francesca's words, you really get a good vibe. And then, and then, and then you pivot to fairy tales and you're looking at that and you're like, damn, damn, damn. But then it's like, okay, okay, okay. This hasn't been casted yet. So, like, what what could we, what, hmm. We can't be the only ones making these beautiful connections. No, no. I mean, like, because, I, like I said, I haven't read the rest of the Dangerous Angels, you know, yet. Um, but I can just imagine, with the description of Witch Baby, I just imagine, like, Demi could be like Alexa could be a really good witch baby. She really you know? could. And like with the way the series is now, because it has been confirmed currently, you know, it was a screenplay before and it's now a series. I mean, like we said, this book is a hundred is under a hundred pages. So do you really make Witsy Bat a season? Or like how do you integrate it? Or is like, you know, I or could each of the books within Dangerous Angels is it like a mini series that are under an hour and these stories, I mean, or do you, or, or because they're so thin, does that give you room to breathe and make things more whimsical and magical? And, you know, there, there's so much, there's so much content, um, and like meat to these short, to these, to the short tellings and stories that you, there, I feel like you can't, I, I mean, you can, but you can't go wrong with Sarah and Francesca at the helm, or you would hope not. You would hope not, especially because, like, the magicians are, it's like a trilogy, Ugh. right? It is, like, a story, but then the series was, uh, you know, like, four or five seasons, and they were able to really pull it out and to make it uh, a, a really richer experience than the books. Dare I say, it feels like something that the screen adapt- adaptation is better than the books. Right. Yeah, it's 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 good. It's good. So, uh, you know, all, all trust and faith in Sarah. Francesca, obviously, like her world uh, have been affecting me for a very long time. And then the just these like immediate thought comparisons that we have, like 
between the the lyrical style and the like photography and just like the general like euphoria vibes that that this kind of LA setting gives us uh, it's just it it could all work. It could be like a very beautiful project. That is just us like like manifesting, throwing that out there into the world. Because like, uh, I really just want to see something positive come out of this. I've been a fan for so long, and I've been disappointed. And you know, it's it's the tease, right? Because if there are books that we love that will never be made into, which is fine, you know, it's fine. Um, like they will never be made into screen or TV or any type of like film adaptation, media adaptation, I guess I should say. And that's fine because there, there are certain things that you'll never want ruined. I, I do feel like you're like, you know what? That would have, we could have just not touched it and it would be fine. And I feel like there's probably Francesca and Laura, you are the expert here. Like, correct me if I'm wrong. That would be fine if that was the case. You know, you're like, you know what? This is fine. Like, it doesn't need to be turned into anything. But now that the tease has been there time and time again, you're just like, but I want it. And I'm sure people feel that way with like Throne of Glass after like the confirmation with Akatar. And obviously we know that there was a Throne of Glass pilot. You're like, but but what if? And I love Throne of Glass. I have a tattoo. Don't get me wrong. But I don't want something if it's going to get fucked up. So that's yep. kind of how I feel. I'm like, you know what? Better, better untouched, better untouched. Don't want to talk about it, you know? And I feel that way about a lot of projects. So but let's see. Fingers crossed on this one. Really, yeah. really, really stoked. Uh, Jess, what was your like? I know you read this twice. So like the first time was vibe. Second time was like, you know, picking up on stuff. But you you like this. I know that this was something totally different for you. Yeah, I really, you know, it's different in the sense that I love that I got to read it as an adult. I think I would have liked it as if I was younger when I read this. I mean, when I was 13, I was reading like the Gossip Girl series and like our school library, too. Um, But I don't know if I would have had the takeaways that I do now. I mean, I grew up in a very, you know, I grew up in a small conservative town where I feel that if this book was available, it would have been like the way the critics were talking about. And probably, you know, I mean, look about it. Like, look at fucking Virginia. They're trying to censor fucking Akamath. So <laughs> if Akamath is being censored, like this sure as hell would have too, with just the subject matter alone. And I think it's, and you know, I think it's so important. And Laura, you've shared on the podcast before, like you went to a Catholic school growing up, basically your whole life. So like, the, like there probably would have been uproar there too. Well, and you bring up a good point, and it's something that we do need to address. Um, Weezy Bat has a daughter named Cherokee, and Weezy Bat does have. We're gonna say it's an appreciation for the Indian Native American like culture and heritage. She does. She does say on page that she's in feathered headdresses and she's moccasins. in like fringe and moccasins and all of that stuff. Again. 89. This is 1989. And Francesca has come out and and said stuff about it. Yeah. Yeah. And we have and we have the links, you know, again, to your research, we'll put additional links in the show notes. But I mean, and even like the referencing of like, you know, indigenous, you know, indigenous cultures and communities was ref- like reading it. You're like, ooh, this is not mm-hmm. this did not age well. But then like doing some research for this episode, too, you're like, 
oh, and, and it was brought to her attention. She has apologized. She has learned. She's worked within the community. She's had like conversations. It wasn't just kind of like a meth blanketed, but it was definitely, you could tell that it was written in a way that it wasn't supposed to be appropriation because we see on paper it was like, fuck us white people. Yeah, we, like, yeah. We, we turn everything to shit, mm-hmm. you know? And she was like, we, that. she says it and she acknowledges it and even the genie acknowledges, like, no, fuck y'all. Like, some all world leaders are going to, somebody's going to fuck it up, you know? Um, so it really was made as an, as an appreciation, although it's not reflected and again, like, the author has learned and has acknowledged and has discussed, you know, has had discussions about it. So it's not, you know, we're not saying that it doesn't come with some issues. <laughs> but, like, again, it's 1989. And even to address this later, you know, a lot of people are being a little reflective, which is the same thing as what we do with the podcast here, where, you're like, things that you loved growing up, you're like, ooh, this is a bit problematic. How did we get it? How did we think this was ever okay, too? Yeah, and it is just an interesting conversation between, like, appropriation and, like, appreciation right. and, and, like, the slippery slope and everything. But this is, like, a very clear appreciation situation. And I do appreciate uh, that Francesca did come out and, like, address Me it. Too. I am glad that it was brought to her attention. I'm glad that everybody is, like, aware. Well, yeah, and that she wasn't dismissive about it either. Exactly. That she, yeah, and, I, like, not only was she not dismissive, but, like she she took accountability and i think that's a big thing and ha- and has actively altered you know that it wasn't just a blanketed uh, an apology and then continue to do whatever the fuck she was wanted to do like that had that was not the case you know and so often that is the case yeah and it's gross and it's gross that's just so gross when that's the case like uh but that's not the case here and we we love this we love this book uh, very, very excellent. Probably available in a lot of places. Um, right? Yeah, I read mine because I typically like doing the ebook copies when we're doing like a lot of stuff for the podcast because I like my little notes. Um, but I read this on the ebook through my library, through the library, and then um, I also have the paper copy. But I didn't want to make my notes in my paper copy because it's like a first edition. <laughs> which, which, if you're interested, there are a lot of first editions floating out. You know, floating around. Oh yeah, and like not for like for pennies. Yeah, they're not. It's <laughs> like, not expensive. No worries there. Like no worries. Uh, really good. Would recommend this book. Uh, yeah. really fantastic. And there are other books in this series. So like you know maybe maybe we continue on with that. We will see. We will see. So thanks for listening. You know where to follow us. Akafe Podcast on Instagram. We're also both on TikTok, Akafe Laura and Akafe Jessica. As always, thanks for listening. And if you ever want to leave a five-star review, we'd appreciate that too. Thanks so much. Thanks for listening. Bye. Bye.